Again, it's a blessing and joy to have each one of you here. We have with us a real live missionary of the New Tribes. Uh, would you stand, sir, and, and your wife, both of you? Tell, tell me your name again. Brother and Mrs. Ben Oates. We're glad you're with us today. God bless you. You may be seated. It's a joy and honor to have this team who work with New Tribes in mission service. And we thank God for the joy of seeing what the, their work, their ministry, to the uttermost parts of the earth in uh, translating scriptures and in going to do the bidding and the will of God. Would you open your Bible to James chapter 1, please? The first chapter of James. The flowers on the memorial table today are placed in honor of Brother Joe Gentry's daddy, who was taken to be with the Lord this past week. A great Christian man, and it was a joy and honor to know that dear man. And we just thank the Lord that all the suffering and trials are over and he's spending the first Lord's Day in the presence of Jesus. James chapter 1, may we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we realize that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. We have not the enticing words of men or the words of wisdom to come before men, but simply the Word of God. We ask that Thy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. I thank You for the privilege of standing again to preach the Word of God. I want to empty myself of anything that would be in the way and humble my own heart before Thee and ask that Thy Spirit would take the Word and all that has gone on in this service thus far and focus it on Jesus. And may we see Him in all of His wisdom. And may we desire Him. If there's one person without Him, may He come to Jesus today. And every child of God just be caught up in the ecstasy of love toward Christ. May the Spirit of Christ do His work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In James chapter 1, we read this marvelous first chapter. I want to read the first 10, first 12 verses. The Lord willing, we're going to read the last part of this chapter tonight in the service. We begin today a series of messages from this little five-chapter book written by the one that many believe was the half-brother of our Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and its flower falleth, and the grass of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. James, a servant of God. Now, if indeed James was the half-brother of our Lord, you'd almost expect him to say, I knew Jesus when he was a little boy. I knew Jesus around the threshold of our mother's home, Mary. Mary, the mother of God. Mary, the virgin. And Joseph, our my father and his stepfather. Now you'd expect James to say something like that, getting on buddy-buddy terms or familiar terms with Jesus. But I want to submit to you that all of that that ever was in the mind of Mary or James or Joseph or the sisters or any of the others of the immediate family, all of that passed away at the cross. And when Jesus said, to John, behold thy mother. This James wasn't even a believer. And when Jesus said to his mother, Mary, behold thy son, it were as if the Lord was saying to his earthly family, you take hands off. You were earthly tools that God used This was God's plan of the incarnation. But now those ties are severed. And never again do you find any hint of a reference in the Scripture to Mary being the mother of God. Never do you hear any hint in the Scripture of Mary being the mother of the Lord after the cross. That was all a human tool. It was God's plan for the incarnation. But at the cross, things changed. And Mary, though a respected and wonderful and godly woman, and I believe every teenage girl ought to have in her bosom the desire to be a modern-day Mary, to be the kind of girl that God could use and trust with his secrets like he did Mary. Even though that's true, Mary is not to be revered. She is not to be a co-redeemer. And James, the author of this epistle, doesn't brag about being the half-brother of the Lord. 
Instead, he calls himself the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And that's putting him on a level with you and me. If we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, then he is our elder brother, and he is our Lord, and he is our Savior. And that's what James was saying in this first verse. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was called to be an apostle. And he writes to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, Martin Luther didn't like the little book of James. Martin Luther was a great reformer. But in the day in which Luther lived, Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest. And the abuses of the Roman church had so moved in upon him, he had been so accustomed to a works salvation. You do this and this and this, and you can be saved. And Martin Luther finally sort of rebelled against it all. And he nailed his 99 theses to the door of Wittenberg Church, and he said, these are the reasons that I can no longer be a preacher or a minister in that church. Among them were the indulgences and other things. And when Martin Luther, you, you see in those days the, the people didn't read the Bible. They read about the Bible. They read the teachings of the church, but they didn't read the Bible itself. And when Martin Luther came to the book of James, he was totally unschooled, unprepared to know what to do with it. And so he called it a straw epistle and he threw it across the room. But the reason for this, he did not understand the workings of the book of James as compared to the workings of the books of Paul. Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But James says in chapter 2, look in verse 14, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you gave them not those things which were needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And Martin Luther was so filled with the truth that a man is saved by grace through faith without any works added that he took that epistle and he threw it out. He said, this is a straw epistle. It doesn't even belong in the Bible. It's trying to say that we're saved by works. Now, with all due respect to that great man, Martin Luther was a tremendous person, just as Augustine was a great man, and Thomas Aquinas was a great one of the great founding fathers of the moving, movement of Christian truth in the early centuries. With all due respect to that great man, Martin Luther misunderstood the book of James. Paul writes, especially in Romans and Ephesians, Paul writes, through the perspective of God. It's almost like Moses on Sinai. He gets the law of God and he comes down and brings it to the people. Paul, writing through the eyes of the Lord, said, by grace are you saved, the grace of God. Through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by works as far as God is concerned. On the other hand, James, extremely practical, says in the entire five chapters of this book, the relationship you have to God must be proved before men by a relationship you have to men. Now let me repeat that. The relationship you have to God before men must be proved by the relationship you have with men. Therefore, while you're saved by grace through faith, and it's the finished work of Christ on the cross, nothing added, nothing subtracted, if it's real faith, if it's saving faith, it's the kind of faith that transforms your life and makes you a citizen of heaven, it'll show in your relationship to men. And when somebody is hungry and you just say, well, God bless you, and you do nothing to feed them, you better check up on your salvation. It may not be real. If you can live a careless life here and have no works to support and prove that you're God's child by faith, then as far as man is concerned, your faith is purely ethereal. A piece of pie in the sky when you die by and by. It means nothing to anybody else. It is not contagious and it's not worth its salt. That's what James is saying. And so we have to put the two together. Paul says, before God, we are saved by grace through faith. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. It is all of Christ and it is what He did for us. We're not saved by what we do for Him. We're not saved by giving somebody some bread to eat. We're not saved by living a good life. We're not saved by joining a right church or by having some preacher say something over us or put us down into some water or put some water on our head. That has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. On the other hand, the only way men will know anything about your salvation is the way you relate to men. And if you're really saved by grace through faith, then it needs to be demonstrated in your daily walk. And that's what the book of James is all about. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Walk your talk. If you're saved by grace, then walk among men as a redeemed man. And that's what James is saying. Now, in the opening chapter, Verse 5, this is our key today. This is our text. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Note these verses, the first 12 verses we have mentioned. I want you to notice in these that if we're going to have the wisdom that God wants us to have, if as believers in Jesus Christ we're going to have the wisdom we need, then first of all, we need to acknowledge the storm. Secondly, we need to ascertain the source of that wisdom. And thirdly, we need to appropriate the strength of that wisdom. Number one, first, if we're going to have the wisdom that God wants us to have, we need to acknowledge the storm. Listen to these words. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. 
But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now verse 6 is a key to acknowledging the storm in which we live. The word picture in the Greek is the picture of a mariner out in the sea, and there's a high wind, and a storm is threatening, and the waves go up, and the waves go down, and the little ship he's in, one moment is tossed up toward the heavens, and in another moment it's tossed down toward hell. And he's up and down, and up and down, and up and down. And James says, don't be like that in your requests to God. Don't be double-minded. Don't be up and down. Don't have an exalted, elevated faith one day and a defeated, depleted faith another day. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. We need to acknowledge the storm in which we live. Now, first of all, we need to notice that wisdom and knowledge are not the same. Knowledge has to do with facts. Wisdom has to do with how we use those facts. Wisdom is not necessarily dealing with the deep things of God. Now, I hope you'll get this. It is rather how to work with others within the framework of the Word and will of God. For example, knowledge tells us that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. You read the Scripture, and that's what you find. God sent Jesus to die for our sins. Now, the deep things of God going into this, we would plummet the depths of who is Jesus, and we would learn from the Scripture that Jesus and God are one, that there is a mystery of the incarnation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And when we get into the deep things of God, we go deeply into trying to understand the mystery of godliness that somehow all wrapped up in Jesus was God dying on a cross for our sins, and that almost spiritually blows our mind. Those are the deep things of God, but that is not necessarily wisdom. Wisdom is simply taking the fact that Christ died for our sins, and we recognize that I need something I don't have. And so I come to Christ, and I appropriate the fact of what Christ did on the cross as enough to cover my sin, and by faith I lay hold of that promise, and I connect myself to it, and I receive Christ. That's wisdom. And again, we see someone else out here, someone who is lost in need of Jesus, and we recognize that they're in terrible need of Christ. And in wisdom, we go and tell them the story of Jesus dying on a cross, and we win them to Christ. He that winneth souls is wise. Now, the deep things of God would cause us to say, well, now I wonder about election and predestination. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder if, uh, if God's going to save the elect. Maybe I don't need to go out and tell anybody. You see, those are the deep things of God. But the Scripture says we need wisdom. Wisdom is God's plan of appropriating the facts to the realities of life. And the Scripture says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Wisdom 
is a missing ingredient in many of our lives today. We do not seem to know what to do with facts. The Word of God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Our body says, But I need that physical relationship. The Word of God says, Swear not. But our lifestyle says everybody else does it. I just will, I just let, will let go of those words. The Word of God says, The tithe is the Lord's. But we say, I can't afford to tithe. Why, well, I can't pay my bills if I tithe. Surely God doesn't expect me to do that. Wisdom lays hold of the promise of God, the tithe is the Lord's, and wisdom says, well, God said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to do it just because God said it. The Word of God says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. But we say, I enjoy my sins. The Word of God says, he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without, wi- that without mercy. And, and I say, but I want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to put my trust in Jesus today, some other day, not, not now. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But I say, there are too many people here. I'm too timid. I'm afraid of what others will say. I'll not do it today. I'll wait. The Word of God says, I have set you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Warn the wicked. He that winneth souls is wise. But man says, I'm tired. I'm timid. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. So we retreat from that task and mission of winning the lost to Christ. The Word of God says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But I say... I'll keep my body for my own use. Or I'm going to keep part of my body. God, you can't have all of this. I'll give you my heart, but not my body. I want to still dance. I want to still hear the rock music and the rock beat. I want to still be involved in the world and the worldliness. God says, all on the altar. I say, Lord, I'm going to save some of it for myself. There's a conflict. There's a lack of wisdom the appropriating of the facts of God, mingling them with faith and applying them to our life and mind that we might do what God says. The Word of God versus the feelings of man. The Word of God says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And I say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about this thing. And so I wring my hands and I walk the floor and I pull my hair and I do all kinds of things day and night because I don't know how to answer. I don't know what to do with all the problems. What we need is wisdom. We need the appropriation of God's wisdom to our lives. Now, if we're going to do this, if we're going to have the wisdom of God, then we need to get it God's way. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. If you from sin are longing to be free, look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you died on Calvary, look to the Lamb of God. When Satan tempts and doubts and fears assail, look to the Lamb of God. You in his strength shall over all prevail, look to the Lamb of God. Are you a weary? Does the way seem long? Look to the Lamb of God. 
His love will cheer and fill your heart with song. Look to the Lamb of God. Fear not when shadows on your pathway fall. Look to the Lamb of God. In joy or sorrow, Christ is all in all. Look to the Lamb of God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But before we can ask of God, we have to acknowledge the storm and the need. And secondly, before we can ask of God, we need to ascertain the source. What is the source of our strength? Now, there's some interesting things taught in this scripture. I want you to notice, first of all, we are not complete or perfect until, until some tribulation has come into our life to work patience. Have you had some tribulation come to you, a sorrow, a hurt, a difficulty, a tragedy, some financial reverse? The death angel has invaded your home, taken somebody maybe right in the prime of life. You didn't want that to happen. Some trial, some adversity has come your way. Well, you can get bitter. You can shake your fist in God's face and say, God, if you're that kind of God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Or you can do what the Scripture says. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Somehow the Scripture teaches us that when we allow adversity to come without getting mad and patiently accept that tribulation, that tribulation works patience. In verses 6 and 7, we read that faith is the key. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that waveth like a wave of the sea. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we need to accept what comes to us as from the Lord. If honor comes, accept it with rejoicing. Don't get all puffed up and say, well, boy, look at me. I really did something. Or, on the other hand, don't get all embarrassed and feeling inferior, say, well, I really didn't deserve all that. If honor comes, accept it as from God. Now, I want to tell you, that's good psychology, too. You, you'll get that in psychology courses. The way they place they got it was from Jesus. Jesus taught that. If honor comes, accept it as from the Lord. On the other hand, if defeat comes and hurts come, don't curl up in a knot and die and say, well, nobody appreciates me, nobody loves me, I'm just going to quit it all. Oh, no. You see, we can't do that either. Promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor the south. But God is the judge. He puts up one and puts down another. God says that. And if we're going to be wise men in the work of the Lord, if we're going to have the wisdom God wants us to have, if we're going to be, have wisdom as preachers, as deacons, as Sunday school teachers, as men of God, as soul winners, then we need to have a spirit of acceptance so that whatever comes into our life, we can say, Lord, I'll take that as from you. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Last of all, we need to appropriate the strength that comes. Look in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We need to appropriate the strength of looking forward to the fact that this is not all. You bus pastors, you don't go out and spend all day Saturday and get up early on Sunday morning and, and invest your lives in those precious boys and girls and in their parents and in homes where people wouldn't come and they just soon you leave them alone sometimes. You're not doing that to be seen of men. Why, if you were, you'd find some other job that would make you seen of men a lot more. You're not doing that for just the rewards you get here. You know why you're doing it? One day you're going to meet Tim up there. One day you're going to meet little John. One day you're going to meet Mary. One day you're going to meet Helen. One day you're going to meet little Jane Ann. And they're going to run up to you and put their arms around you and say, thank you for taking me to hear about Jesus. Now that's the wisdom. That's appropriating the strength of the wisdom of God. We're going to elect deacons after a while. Deacons are not going to serve just so they can be, have a place of honor or prestige. Matter of fact, a deacon position is not a place necessarily of prestige. It's a place of tremendous responsibility where the church says, will you serve so you'll be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If you cannot serve like that, don't serve. Will you serve in a place where you will live an honorable life, a godly life, having an honest report from the outside and being respected among the children of God on the inside? Will you have the kind of lifestyle that will attract other people to Jesus? Now, you don't do that. So you can be seen of men. So you can get somebody to come and pat you on the back. Matter of fact, sometimes they won't pat you on the back. You do it as unto the Lord. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. In a moment, we're going to give an invitation. That invitation is not for you to come just walking down the aisle and stand here and say, well, here I am. That invitation is, a life, is an invitation to a life of service. It is saying, I am reporting for duty to Christ my Lord. Back when we had conscription, when we had the draft, and an 18-year-old went to, to register, and then he got a little letter saying, Greetings from Uncle Sam. Will you report on June 22nd or July 3rd? And you have been honored and chosen to serve the United States. When you went down there to report for duty, you didn't come. You say, Well, I hope everybody sees me. Now, you might have gone with that attitude. If you did, you wouldn't be a very good soldier or sailor. But really what you did, and especially during wartime, I know of many young men who went to say, here's my life. If I can help guard America, if I can help keep this nation strong and true and free, here's my life. I had a cousin named Buddy. Buddy was a brilliant young man. He got a deferment during World War II and he finished his training at Ohio State University. And the day after he finished his training, he was inducted in the Army. Six weeks later, four weeks later, his mother received a letter. Mother, it's an honor to serve 
in the nation's armed forces. I understand we're going to be in part, we're going to be part of one of the great battles the world has ever known. I count it an honor to serve America. Six weeks later, his mother got a letter from the Department of the Army. Your son is missing in the Battle of the Bulge. But he never came home. A few years ago, I visited his grave at Ham International Cemetery in Europe. He laid down his life in service for America. When we give an invitation and we ask you, will you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Will you receive Christ into your heart? Will you let God come and live his life inside of you so that you can be saved from hell, saved unto heaven in order that you might live a godly life right here in this world? Will you come? Will you come? Report for duty for that. Say, here I am, Lord. And others who ought to move their letter to this church. And others who ought to come and say, I've been saved. I need now to put on the armor of a Christian following the Lord in baptism. And I need to take a stand for Christ. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God will give you the wisdom. Not just the facts. Not just some steep, deep study in the deep things of God, though that's valuable and true. But God will give you the alertness and the wisdom to read it in his word and say, I'm going to do it because God said to do it. I'm going to do it. And that's what God's wisdom is. And remind, remember, he says, don't be double-minded, but have a single mind. Have a one, one purpose. I have one, this one thing I do, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you right where you sit ask Jesus to give you the strength to do what his word tells you to do? To do what the Holy Spirit whispers in your heart to do? Our Father, we pray right now that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to every heart. Give courage and faith and strength to those who have already trusted Jesus to be the first to stand up and step out into the aisle and come saying, I want to put my life on the line for God. And may everyone here look into his heart to see, am I really saved? Is Jesus really reigning in my life? Is he my Lord? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. I appreciate the wonderful way you've been attentive today. I'd like to ask that we not leave during the singing of this hymn, but just listen. Listen to God speak. Through the words of that song, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to get up from where you are and come and say, by coming, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to take my stand for the king. It may mean that you've already been saved, but you have not made it public 
and you need to follow the Lord in baptism. It may mean that you want to come and be part of this fellowship and help build a strong, soul-winning church in the city of Bowling Green. It may mean that you need to move your letter to this church. Dear friend, if you're not saved, this invitation is for you to look into your heart and just say, Jesus, I want to give you me. I want to give you me, my heart, my life, and I want you to come and live in me. Will you come? Who will be the first to step out for the king as we begin to sing? Will you come right now?